Folks, in an effort to uh, address the teaching shortage, I'm going to start teaching you folks about stuff. But well, here's what I don't know. I know that I know stuff, but I don't know if I make it interesting enough to make, like, a good teacher. So, as you, as you guys know, I think, uh, we've talked about it before, uh, a group of us uh, associated with the podcast in the Delaware Call uh, have uh, sort of embarked on a journey to um, explore Delaware history, um, sort of explore Delaware history in a way maybe it hasn't been told before through different episodes in the history, looking into regular people's stories, what life was like, uh, what the churches were like, all of that stuff. And so what I want to do now is do sort of a mini one about something I'm reading about right now that you guys might be interested in. And then you can ask questions like students. You can evaluate, mm-hmm. do an eval. Mm-hmm. So this is this is what we're doing. Okay. The topic is something uh, that I think everybody sort of has an idea about but doesn't know that much about. So let's see. So the separation, the Delaware County separation from Pennsylvania during the colonial period. This happened around 1700. So everybody's sort of familiar that that happened. Right. Now, do you know a lot about it? Do you, mm. And you weren't sure that much about it. No. Okay. Something so, about William Penn and... Yes, yeah. we're going to get to that. <laughs> I, I love it. I love the excitement. Correct. We're going to get to that. Um, so the background is like this. Um, as the Europeans came over to start to settle, um, the situation in Europe was, uh, was very uh, fraught. Um, we're talking about the time uh, around the Thirty Years' War. We're talking about the time of the English Revolution. Uh, we're talking about the time of, um, you know, turmoil within the Holy Roman Empire. So all of that stuff is happening in Europe. At the same time, uh, people are trying to uh, make money over on the, uh, the American coast. So um, the Jamestown Colony in... Virginia did not go that well, as we know. Um, there were colonies that were actually becoming self-sufficient in New England, uh, but most of them were, were Puritans, and no one could get along with them. That's why they went to New England in the first place. Mm-hmm. They're lunatics. We know that. So most of the real money-making schemes from Scandinavia, from the Netherlands, and from England, uh, and from France were coming from New York down to about Maryland. So all of these different European countries were setting up these little forts. We know about that. We know about uh, the Kalmar Nickel, and we know about Newcastle and all of that. So I don't want to get into too much of that because it gets um, a little bit hairy. A lot of, I mean, we can't get into the Thirty Years' War right now. If that's okay with everybody. So here's where we're going to start it. In August of 1664. The Duke of York comes into New York, in New Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and takes it over. Um, and and Stuyvesant, the the the, the Dutch uh, governor, surrenders because he had to. It's not like that. It's not like there's an army. That's the other thing. One of the big controversies is how they're going to defend all of these colonies. So mm-hmm. basically, there you know, there's a fort at, uh, you know, there's 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 a fort in New Jersey, and there's one in. Uh, Newcastle, and there's there's one in Chester, Upland, 
Um, but there's no real, like, if, if people come and take it, they just take it. Yeah. And so uh, they rename it New York, and now um, the, the, the Dutch colony in, in Newcastle uh, becomes a, a, an English colony. And William Penn, uh, in about 1698, is, is basically gifted the land of Pennsylvania and Delaware. Now, here's the thing about William Penn. What do you guys know about William Penn? Do you know anything? He's a Quaker. He was a Quaker, mm-hmm. but, here, but, he, but he converted to, 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 to the Society of Friends. Yeah, I did his, not know that. His dad was a very famous admiral hmm. in, the, in the British Navy, Admiral Penn. Yeah. Um, he was, um, when Cromwell came to power uh, after Charles I got, the, got murked, um, Cromwell gave uh, William Penn's father a bunch of castles and stuff in Ireland, and, uh, and, and he was like an aristocrat. When William Penn, his son, converted to Quaker, they had a sit down. They were like, bro, what are you, what are you doing? Um, so he became like the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, you know, he was thrown in jail a bunch. You know, people just didn't like the Quakers. Um, but at the end of his dad's life, they had like a coming together. And his dad like appreciated the fact that he like stuck to his guns mm-hmm. and like was like a gun. He was like, you know, buddy, I'll let you inherit all my shit. And so he, you know, he, William Penn was an aristocrat. Basically, his father was uh, his father actually was knight, even though Cromwell gave his father these castles when when they brought the king back, when they brought King James back, who was the Duke of York, by the way, brought him back from the Netherlands to uh, take over for William, the Dutch king. Um, his father helped him do that and was knighted. So his William's father was a knight. <clears throat> so Penn comes over. And is trying to arrange all of these colonies. Now, they have a bunch of different people here. They still have Dutch people here. There's Swedes still here. There's Finnish people here. They'll take anybody. Uh, Penn came over, basically talked him into, like, giving him the land so the Quakers could come over. Because they were like, get these fucking Quakers out of here. We don't want them. <clears throat> so Penn is trying to come up with different schemes to keep... Pennsylvania and Delaware together. But it's it, but here's the pressures, here's the political pressures he was feeling. Number 1, all of the relationships between these colonies were all very um murky. So, like Lord Baltimore uh in Maryland was always making claims on the Delaware coast because there was a thing that he, when he was gifted his land that if there wasn't any inhabitants on the west coast of the Delaware River, he could go all the way to the river. So he'd have the whole peninsula. So there was always a question about, like, when did the Swedes actually settle and the Dutch actually settle? So he thought he could go all the way over. So Penn's got that problem. He Mm -hmm. thinks, well, he's got another problem legally where the Delaware is actually a territory of the crown. He's the governor of it. He actually owns through proprietorship and private ownership uh, Philadelphia, uh, Bucks, and Chester County. So it's like two different, two different sort of uh, situations he's trying to deal with. The third one is um, he is a Quaker, and um, most of the people in the lower three counties were uh, Church of England, and of course they didn't. They hated each other. Um, so a lot of this stuff started to come to a head. 
the Delaware delegates to the assembly they had wouldn't show up. They wouldn't collect taxes. They wouldn't even send electors. Uh, and so they're having... Pr- the, 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 the maintenance of this colony was becoming such that uh, Penn was like, it's not going to work. We're, we're, we're getting messed up here. So at, at a certain point, the New York colony on the Hudson. So just like the Delaware River had all of these different colonies, the Hudson had them too from New York all the way up to Albany. They were getting threats from the French and the Indians because, again, it's not like they have... They're not that well protected. They're just out in the hinterlands. So they're trying to raise money. And Penn was sort of in a predicament. He's a Quaker, but he doesn't want to make the king mad. But he also doesn't want to have to pay for a fort that the colonists want in Lewis. Because they're like at the mouth of the bay. So there's this huge, he has to go back to England to try to, sort his stuff out, and there's this huge sort of mess in the legislature. And this is the way it plays out. I'll, I'll read this, this passage. And, and I, I picked this out sort of especially for you because it, it, it does in the middle of this passage get into like some politics and what people thought of it, like being in the room. So uh, you, 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 may, you, you may feel something here. We'll see. So in uh, November of 1700, um, they, they, they get together and they're just trying to figure out if they can raise some money, basically. So it says, however, one subject of disagreement between the provincial and the territorial delegates was settled when a new tax levy for support of the government was agreed upon. The territorial delegates objected to as high a tax as the Pennsylvania members wanted, probably because the lower counties would benefit less than the province from the sums raised. The compromise agreed upon was to raise 2,000 pounds, clear all expenses of collection, allocate responsibility for the tax to each county as follows. Bucks, 225 pounds. Philadelphia, 1,025 pounds. Chester County, 325 pounds. Newcastle County, 180 pounds. Kent County, 139 pounds. And Sussex County, 106 pounds. The proportion for the lower counties, where the total obligation was only 425 pounds, were obviously different from those employed in the upper counties, and an apparent recognition that the proceeds were expected to benefit the province more than the territories. After 18 years of union, the connection, whether by law or of interest or of affection, was a brittle one. Isaac Norris, a Pennsylvania delegate, felt comfortable about the outcome of this session of the assembly. He wrote on December 8th, 1700. I am at length got home from wearisome Newcastle. After seven weeks session, much teasing, and sometimes almost off the hinges, for they would creak loudly, then we would sit and reduce ourselves to good order again. Some turbulent spirits would often endeavor to drive it to a pitched (laughs) battle betwixt the upper counties and the lower, Quakers and churchmen. But, in short, we at length brought it to a pretty good conclusion. Norris's satisfaction with the proceedings at Newcastle and his sense of well-being could not last long. The animosity he noted between the upper counties and the lower, Quakers and churchmen, grew to a point where, in 1701, uh, the assembly and the union fell off the hinges, never to be set right again. 
So that was a pretty funny. What's project. the book and the author? Oh, so this is um this is sort of like the foundational book of colonial history. The author is John Monroe. Um, he was a uh, a, a historian at the University of Delaware. Uh, he died uh, about 15 years ago, I guess. This was written in the 70s, but it's still considered sort of the baseline colonial history. Um, what you'll find is like it's mostly just the politics and the wheeling and dealing of it. But it's actually very, um, while it doesn't talk about the kind of history we would like to talk about, like slave contact and what it was like to actually like eke out a living on one of these farms and try to sustain one of these colonies until another boat got here, um, what that was like. Um, but, it, but it is very telling because it does tell you what the actual interests of the people who were running it were, which is interesting. So it goes on. Provincial and territorial rivalries were evident in a special assembly session held in August of 1701. Only an emergency justified calling an assembly in this season, Penn admitted, but a royal command created emergency for the proprietor, Penn. The command was for a contribution towards the heavy expense of fortifying the Newark frontier against hostile Indians and the French. However, much he deprecated warfare. Penn wanted the funds, voted for the crown. For royal disapproval could severely endanger his property rights in America. The assembly majority was uncooperative. They had various excuses. The infancy of the colony, the cost of the settlement, the burden of taxes already assessed, the inaction of adjacent provinces. They gave Penn nothing but sweet words with which to assuage the disappointment of the king. A minority of the assemblymen, however, had a special grievance. This minority consisted of seven Delaware delegates who, though no more eager than their colleagues to, fund, uh, to vote for funds for New York defenses, embarrassed Penn by complaining of their own defenseless state, exposed without cannon, without forts, without even a militia along a coast frequented by hostile ships. They asked a proprietor to explain their situation to King William so he would not expect these counties that lack forts themselves to raise money for forts elsewhere. It was a plea not only of Penn's territories against his province that would vote no for a defense, it was also a plea of churchmen against Quakers who had religious scruples against military prep preparations. But from Penn's point of view, this plea was most worrisome because of the trouble it could raise for him in his relations with authorities in England possibly trouble enough to cost him all his American claims. Mm. Guys, just, it's BPG. It's Mike Prezicki and BPG. <laughs> they got claims, man. They're trying to make, they do deals. They're trying to, they're trying to annex, uh, you know, uh, land in the county for a basketball arena. I really appreciate the framing of like, the annoying uh, minor players in Delaware, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. uh, the the national narrative still the same of you know Jonathan Chait writing like why we need to abolish Delaware like they're just the pesky the pesky a Delaware guys. size what was it a Delaware size glacier you know <laughs> yeah yeah everything the, like, yeah. the other the other thing that they were um, reduced to that the the other the other issue I was telling uh, Kirsten before you came in that. Um, they were always getting accused of the the authorities were always accusing them of rather than taking the tobacco uh, from the Chesapeake and sending it up to Newcastle or Philadelphia or New York and then sending it to England so it all had the levies and taxes and it went to the right place they would just smuggle it to Scotland out of Kent County <laughs> and they were like they were really mad but they were doing this and they were like 
trying to skirt the law, but it was it's pretty clear that they were definitely doing it. Like the the, the records yeah. fairly clear that that was happening. So yeah, I mean it was just people trying. It was it was a big just like everything in the United States from the beginning to now. It's just a huge land grab. It's just a bunch of people that are like it's just a bunch of aristocrats and uh, and famous naval people. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's under the auspices of like religious freedom yeah you're right though that it would be really cool to have like the howard's in version of delaware history where you are learning about yeah just people trying to like eke out a living and you know um not just the aristocrats and their wheelings and dealings yeah doing doing deals like i I was telling kirsten before i i'm always i'm and i i I was put on to a a scholar who i think an academic who i think has written some books about this but i i haven't found the right ones yet um but yeah, apparently the the Swedes and and remember, okay, so even before this, when there was just two Dutch, uh, it was Wilmington and Newcastle, so there was like two Dutch colonies. Mm-hmm. But the the Newcastle colony was the, uh, I believe that was the city colony, right? Because it was basically owned by the city of Amsterdam. Where the company colony uh, in Wilmington was owned by Dutch East India Company, so it was actually owned by private interests who still sort of answered to this group of capitalists in in in, uh, in Amsterdam. But basically, the two the the, the, the two main sort of settlements were actually uh, managed uh, by different imperial interests, which which I thought was pretty pretty interesting because it's always been just a mess. The Swedes brought um, Finns uh, here to help settle because really part of it was like trying to be self-sufficient. Like how much regular, how much regular farming would you have to do to be self-sufficient, rather than just like trade beaver pelts with the with the uh, yeah. natives, whatever. Also, are we going to give you feedback on your abilities as a teacher? Yes, your pedagogy. And so let's let, so let's get to the end. Okay. Okay. Don't want to interrupt. Yeah. So the end. Yeah. Well, you know what the end is. We become the first state. We're living it. We're doing it. We did it. <laughs> well, the yeah. end is. Uh, no, the, the 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 end is to understand that all of this stuff is what the fancy aristocrats were doing mm-hmm. to try to um, basically just try to oppress everybody. Um, that's the thing I take away from it. Actually, one of the things I take away from it which I wouldn't talk about in a, in a, in a grade school class necessarily, but like it's one of You don't the... think that the seven-year-olds would be like enthralled by this <laughs> lesson right now? No. No, I do understand it's age. It's an age appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of the things, all of the the, the shitty things from, from just from slavery to uh, selling people into indentured servitude to just stealing stuff... Uh, all of that was secondary to just make, just trying to get as much of you as you could possibly get. I mean, that the feeling of, like I said, this is the time where capitalism starting to spring up in Amsterdam, especially, and in the Low Countries, but also in, in England. Uh, but there's no sort of social uh, and and economic apparatus for it. So people are like flailing around to figure out how to how to actually do it, and I, I, I find that extremely interesting. I think 
because of the historical context in our country, we focus a lot on just like um, on like the genocide of the natives and slavery because they're especially grotesque. Um, but I, 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 I really think those were completely secondary to these people. Just, you know, they would have done it no matter who it was or what they look like or where they were, it would have happened. I mean, their, their, their motivations were the same, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, so that's, that's the separation. That's the story of the separation.